Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 444 Football at 444.com. I am 444's Senior DFS Editor, Chris Raybon, joined as always by Associate Editor TJ Hernandez. What's up, TJ? What's up, Chris? Uh, just finally getting this, this week three of preseason wrapped up, so I'm getting pretty excited. I'm like in full lineup building mode now because we're getting a pretty clear picture of what to expect for week one so it is time i'm ready definitely you know we got the obligatory tony romo injury out of the way oh my god so now we can start making our lineups and knowing exactly what's going on but uh it's a good time of year excited we'll talk about a lot of things today we'll talk about tight ends tight end strategy Remind you guys about all the new features in the DFS subscription. But first, of course, we have to talk about the music that played us in. And it was Award Tour by a tribe called Quest off their 1993 album, Midnight Marauders. Um, I think this is the first tribe song we've done on DFS MVP. So some really good stuff. Uh, Tell us about the song, TJ. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about it. If we're going to have classic hip-hop in, in our DFS MVP playlist, we have to have some tribe. And you, you told me to pick some music this week, and it was actually funny because one of the one of the guys I talk to the most in the industry is Adam Pfeiffer, who's a really sharp dude. Now he's called him Fife Dog, and he's so young, I don't even think he knows what I'm referencing. So <laughs> anyone, that, anyone that doesn't know Fife Dog, you know, rest in peace, Fife Dog, uh, one of the greats from Tribe Called Quest. So I figured this was a good week to get it in. Definitely, and speaking of... DFS MVP music, tell the listeners where they can find the playlist because I think a couple of people have been asking me about it. Yeah, yeah. so if you go to Spotify, just search DFS MVP, two separate words, uh, and then every time we post the podcast on Twitter, I also follow it up with a link to the playlist so everybody can get their lineup building music in while, while they're listening to DFS MVP and then building those lineups. Definitely, and I will also put a link to the Spotify playlist in the show notes on the 444.com article, which I did last week for the Wide Receiver Podcast as well. So you guys should have a few different ways of accessing the playlist. But let's jump right into tight end strategy. And of course, we will start by talking about some correlations. We will look at which stats are the most correlated to fantasy production at the tight end position. And you guys can find this information in an article I wrote called DFS Playbook 2016 Tight End Strategy. And for tight ends, of course, it's volume first. The most highly correlated stat to tight end production is targets. Targets per game on both FanDuel and DraftKings lead the way. However, something interesting to note is that on FanDuel, and this is due to something that I speak about a lot in my content, which is on FanDuel there are no yardage bonuses like DraftKings and there's only half PPR scoring, so you can also apply this to other half PPR sites as well. But since there is no full PPR scoring, touchdowns take on an increased importance and something really interesting is that red zone targets per game have the exact same correlation as targets per game to fantasy points per game for tight ends they're both at 0.77 so red zone targets per game just as strongly correlated as targets per game on FanDuel and just a few ticks behind on DraftKings as well so 
Red zone targets really important for tight ends. Tight ends are not scoring a bunch of long touchdowns. They usually don't run as well as wide receivers, so they're not going to make as many splash plays. Really need those red zone targets for tight ends. And we'll go into some more of the implications of that later. But, of course, anytime you can find a tight end in a high-scoring game or a tight end with a good quarterback or just a tight end getting a lot of red zone targets, usually a good look and usually a viable play. Some other correlations of note. Market share numbers are pretty high on the spectrum. Of course, when we're looking at target market share and red zone target market share, And then the efficiency metrics are a lot lower in terms of correlation. The highest efficiency metric is yards per target, and that comes in at 0.47. Now, remember, targets per game came in at 0.77. On FanDuel, it came in at 0.82 on DraftKings. And yards per target is at 0.47 on FanDuel and 0.43 on DraftKings. So significantly lower there, and that's the highest, the most strongly correlated, excuse me, efficiency metric. And then... Touchdown rate, a little below that. And catch rate, pretty much almost no correlation, 0.05 on FanDuel and 0.11 on DraftKings. What that means is you don't really need to be looking at something like catch rate for tight ends. You know, most of them are going to get a lot of high percentage looks and catch decent amount of their passes unless their name is Jordan Cameron in 2015. Um, and some other interesting correlations of note, team attempts per game and passing percentage also weren't correlated very high so just looking for a team that passes a lot isn't necessarily going to lead to a lot of tight end production you really just want to look at that market share and and the overall targets you just need that opportunity when you're looking to roster a tight end because tight ends aren't getting as much opportunity as wide receivers so in 2015, only tw- tight ends saw only 21% of targets, whereas wide receivers saw 59% of targets. So, big difference there. Of course, there are more wide receivers, but still, you can see how what a small piece of the pie tight ends are getting overall. And I talked about the touchdowns, and it's 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 volume in general that tight ends need, and that's because most tight ends they're just not going to get a lot of receiving yards only two tight ends in 2015 averaged more than 60 receiving yards per game whereas 27 wide receivers averaged more than 60 receiving yards per game so tight ends just not as much volume there so you need as much volume as you can get and you need those red zone targets now one good thing about tight ends in the red zone is that over the last three seasons tight ends red zone touchdown rates which is the amount of times, the percentage of the time, excuse me, that a tight end scores a touchdown on a red zone target. For tight ends, it's 32% over the last three seasons. For wide receiver, only 23%. And for running back, only 18%. So in essence, what that's saying is that a red zone target for a tight end is the most valuable type of a red zone target. It's going to be, on average, converted at a higher rate. And given the importance of touchdowns, Vegas implied totals play a, a large role in predicting tight end production when you look at point per dollar value on the major sites, FanDuel and DraftKings. So essentially, the higher the team total, the higher the tight end points per dollar ROI was. So on FanDuel, 
tight ends returned 1.74 points per thousand dollars when the team total was 27 or more. It drops down to 1.64 when it's between 24 and 27, and then it drops down to 1.58 when it's between 21 and 24, and it keeps dropping. And on DraftKings, tight ends scored 3.07 points per thousand dollars when a team had a team total of 27 or more. It dropped from 307 to 305, so just a slight drop-off in the 24 to 27 implied total range. But then it goes from 305 all the way to 2.79 when you're talking about 21 to 24 point implied total. And it keeps dropping another huge drop-off to 2.55 when you go to the 18 to 21 range. So... Big drop-offs there in terms of point-per-dollar value. Remember, this is adjusted for salary, so it's very significant. Now, of course, sites could slightly alter their pricing to kind of make up for that. But in general, I think what we're seeing is that you really want to target tight ends on teams that are going to, to score a lot of points because remember those those red zone targets for tight ends are very important. Those touchdowns are very important. And another thing I found was that home favorites, and this just goes back into the implied point totals, but home favorites are far superior on DraftKings. They returned 3.33 points per thousand dollars in 2015. And the next highest was road favorites all the way at 2.52. So home favorites, 3.33 points per thousand dollars on average, whereas road favorites were the next highest at 2.52. And this is the sample size is all tight ends uh, projected uh, for, I believe it's six, 6.5 DraftKings points and 6 FanDuel points and uh, by 4 for 4 last year. So that kind of cuts out any of the players that you wouldn't think of starting in DFS in a given week. And on FanDuel, home favorites scored 1.84 points per thousand in 2015, whereas the next highest was a home dog all the way down at 1.46. And I'll get into why I think that is a little bit later on. But TJ, let's talk about big games because we know tight ends aren't getting a lot of volume. I talked a little bit about the Vegas line. So when we're looking for a tight end to to put up these big games that are really going to help us in tournaments especially, what are we looking for? Yeah, so the the methodology that I went about to to uncover tight end big games is very similar to uh, what we've done for the other three positions. I I basically went through and dug through these these GPPs and found that uh, because you only have to start one tight end on on both Fanduel and DraftKings, that if you can nail down a, a tight end that finishes in the top four uh that should keep you in contention in most gpps it's obviously gonna have a little bit of variance between the sites uh but i I went back and looked at the average scoring for top four tight ends uh and then took all tight ends that met that point threshold so about 20 fanduel points is what you want to try to take down a gpp uh with your tight end and then about 25 DraftKings points so uh pretty close to what you found in, in your other studies and then uh what that methodology methodology does by by using a threshold is it weeds out any top scoring tight ends for the study that might have just snuck in on a really low scoring week so uh, it provides us with a baseline and then uh, also takes out some of the noise and I'll just get into kind of what I found for tight ends that 
meet these thresholds on both sides, and there'll be a little bit, bit of contrast to wide receivers, which is very important to note because I think a lot of times when we're doing uh, weekly analysis, both uh, experts and casual uh, players, I think a lot of times people get into the trap of lumping wide receivers and tight ends together because they're path, pass catchers. Uh, but really, we need to be making a, a distinction here. And a lot of this lined up with what you just mentioned. Uh, we, f- I found that home and away and wins, while not that important for top-scoring wide receivers, it was really important for these tight ends. Uh, almost two-thirds of the top-scoring tight ends uh, on FanDuel uh, came from the home team or the winning team, and then 70% on, on DraftKings. So a really big difference where wide receivers' uh, home and away splits and being on the winning team or not had almost no bearing. And I, I was kind of trying to figure out why this was, and the percentages were really close to quarterbacks, so I thought maybe it had something to do with uh, quarterbacks and tight ends being correlated a little bit higher than we thought, but I couldn't find too much hard evidence. And then I talked to you about it, Chris, and you had a really interesting theory as to why home away splits and being on the winning team was very important for tight ends. So do you want to explain uh, what your idea on that is? Sure, and I admittedly haven't done the, all of the digging on this, but just it lines up with a lot of research I have done, and I think it's because tight ends are they don't score long touchdowns and tight ends are generally safer options in the pass game than wide receivers so it's kind of like with running backs where it's a game script thing a little bit first of all where if a team is up and a team is leading you'd rather throw maybe you'd rather dump it off to a tight end than throw outside to a wide receiver and also when it when you look at the winning teams and and the Vegas lines and you know a lot of winning teams are obviously on favorites or have higher point totals what you're looking at is you know a team projected to score more tight ends then benefit from that because their tight end their scoring isn't necessarily going to be as unpredictable in terms of really long touchdowns, it's going to kind of be you have the team has to get down and close, you know, probably get within twenty yards or so, ten yards of the end zone, and then those those that's where the t- the tight ends are going to get their touchdowns, and that's similar to running backs. And what you see is what you mentioned, where there's a big distinction between wide receivers and tight ends, and the tight ends line up a lot more with running backs in terms of how we think about you know game script, looking for favorites, looking for home players at home and and winning teams so those are just my thoughts I can probably do some more digging and maybe prove it more conclusively but I do think it's something to keep in mind and something that I really wasn't as aware of until this offseason so I think it's something we really need to pay attention to in 2016. Yeah I like that theory a lot and when when you just from a um just from an anecdotal perspective, it makes a ton of sense. So I think that is something that we need to consider. Uh, one thing that that I did find with tight ends when I was just looking at this, these big games, and this is going to uh, be a little different than what you mentioned with the DFS playbook, but 
the the reason being is because I'm just looking at these big games here, games where Titans really uh, broke out and had GPP winning potential, whereas you're looking at the entire player pool and just kind of looking at value and where there's a little bit of difference is the implied point total. If you're looking for uh, really big uh, big games from tight ends, you don't necessarily have to get a, a tight end with a high employee a high implied point total on Fandle, uh, top scoring tight ends only had an implied point total over 24, 53% of the time. And on DK, uh, just barely 50% of the time. And that's just because, uh, even without a, a high implied point total, if a tight end, uh, think about someone like, like an Antonio Gates who really dominates red zone targets for a team like the chargers, even though they were losing, they're losing a lot last year. Um, someone like that can, can still return really good value and this is where there is a little bit of similarity to wide receivers we can use this knowledge to to kind of go against the grain there's a little bit of game theory implication here where a lot of people might only be targeting tight ends in really high scoring games for gpps uh we might be able to target a tight end that dominates red zone targets even though he's on a team that might only be projected for 22 or 23 points and that might give us an opportunity to have a really unique lineup with a tight end that could still hit tournament value um going into matchups a little bit i found that matchups were more important on DraftKings and FanDuel uh and i think when we think about the scoring this this really makes a lot of sense um Matchup and yardage was was the least important for FanDuel tight ends more than any position in this entire study, and that's because uh, on FanDuel, where where you kind of talked about the touchdowns uh, really carry a lot of weight. A a tight end can score two touchdowns and and really separate himself from the field. Whereas on DraftKings, uh, where we get that 100 yard bonus, where we get the full PPR scoring, if if tight ends are going to see a good amount of volume on their team, they can really make uh, make up for for not scoring a touchdown. And this was really interesting because we always talk about how we need uh, multi touchdown potential to take down a GPP, and a lot of times we use that as justification for rostering someone like Gronk every week. But if we look at these big games on DraftKings, only forty seven percent of uh, big big game tight ends on DraftKings scored. Um, scored two or more touchdowns whereas on FanDuel over 60% of our big game tight ends scored two or more touchdowns so we can just see there how important that uh, the volume and the yardage is on DraftKings so I think that's a really interesting thing to note that we really need to be targeting that steady production uh, volume and yardage on DraftKings and on FanDuel we really really want to be paying attention to that touchdown upside like you said red zone targets Definitely some really great points, and I think that's an important, uh, an important distinction. The implied point totals carrying not as much value in tournaments because I think sometimes people might actually think about it the opposite way, where in tournaments they're really trying to target those high point total games, and you can get an edge that way and perhaps even get some lower ownership on certain players because people aren't targeting the mediocre to lower implied point totals as much, and you always want to try to... Dis- differentiate yourself in tournaments to win those big prizes so really good stuff there again the article is called dfs big game profiles tight ends by tj hernandez it's on 444.com right now you're listening to dfs mvp let's talk more about gpps i looked at 
the winning lineups for both of the big tournaments on FanDuel and DraftKings last year, the most popular one. So it's the Millie Maker on DraftKings and the Sunday Million on FanDuel. And I'll just go over some numbers that I found. Now, keep in mind, this is just the winning lineups, the grand prize winning lineups. So small sample, uh, about 15, 17 lineups. But on DraftKings, the average tight end... The median salary for tight end, excuse me, was 4200 and that was seventh of the nine positions, but pretty average in terms of what, an, what a tight end will cost. So it's not like people are really spending down necessarily at tight ends, it's just that most tight ends don't cost that much. And the average ownership was 9.9%. That's sixth out of the nine lineup slots, so just a hair under 10%. So you don't always need to go super contrarian at tight end because there's only going to be so many options in a given week. A lot of times, maybe if you're just fading the top guy, the, top, the most highly owned tight end, you should probably be fine on DraftKings because you still need that volume and volume is more predictable than touchdowns so it's not like you're just gonna always find a diamond in the rough on DraftKings but uh no tight ends were in the flex on DraftKings in any of the winning millimaker lineups last season again small sample but something to keep in mind there you usually want a running back or a wide receiver in your flex, just a little more upside. I know a lot of people like to go contrarian, put tight ends on the, in the flex, and while that might provide you some good value opportunities, it in 2015 at least it didn't result in any grand prize winnings. So there were 75 tight ends who hit 4x value in 2015, or 4.4 per week, um, and the average spread in those games was a one. 0.16 favorite and the average over under was 45.8 and the average team total was 23.5 uh, 62.7% of those tight ends on DraftKings that hit 4x were at home and 62.7% were also favorites 41.3% had a team total of 24 or more and in case you guys are curious the average receiving line in those games was 6.5 catches 77.7 yards and uh, one touchdown 84% had at least five catches, only 26.7% reached 100 yards, and the three-point bonus, 77.3% had at least one touchdown, and 21.3% had multiple touchdowns, and on FanDuel, you're going to see that, like TJ mentioned in his big game profiles, the numbers are higher, but on FanDuel, the... Median salary was 5900 That was 7th out of the 9 positions. But again, it's about what an average tight end costs on FanDuel. So it's not like people are specifically paying up or, or down there. And then the average ownership for tight ends on FanDuel was 13.1%, which was actually 3rd, which is interesting because that's a difference between FanDuel and DraftKings in terms of the ownership percentage in the winning lineup. Remember, on DraftKings, it was 9.9%, and that was 7th. So seems like on FanDuel, for whatever reason, less contrarian selections at the tight end position are, are winning. And again, that might just come down to you really need those those few tight ends who can score multiple touchdowns and those are usually there there usually aren't many of those those guys out there in a given week so something to keep in mind there and on FanDuel 92% of tight ends to hit 3x value which is kind of what you're looking for at least in a tournament uh 92.5% had at least 5 catches 42.5% reached 100 yards 90% had at least one touchdown 
and uh, 42.5% had multiple touchdowns. So it's a little bit, it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison because we're looking at 3x value on FanDuel and 4x value on DraftKings, and those are kind of just arbitrary cutoffs for where you want to get to in a tournament. But you can see that the percentage of multiple touchdown games is double on. FanDuel what it is on DraftKings so that just goes back to what TJ said in his big game profile study and you can find the information I just mentioned in articles I wrote and released last week on 4 for 4 they're called DFS tight end strategy FanDuel 2015 year in review and DraftKings 2015 year in review those are two separate articles but let's get into regression it's always a favorite topic of hours and a favorite topic of the listeners so tell us why it's important i know you did a regression study for each position take us through your tight end study and give us some positive and negative regression candidates tj yeah so before we get into the candidates uh the tight end regression or touchdown regression in general is going to be something we want to pay attention to throughout the season but even early in the year because if we're looking at tight ends that uh either underperformed or overperformed in the touchdown column last year uh, those are the players that are most likely to be mispriced usually in redraft because people are going to draft based off of uh, what they remember most last year from from past results Uh, but a lot of times the dfs pricing really mirrors those adp values so anybody that had a really down year last year is probably going to be underpriced early in the season and then anybody who performed very well will probably be priced a little too high if they were performing over expectation and this is especially important for tight ends because uh, of all the positions touchdowns and touchdown rates are probably one of the most volatile stats from year to year for tight ends so what we want to do and what i did for this study is uh, instead of just looking at red zone targets as a whole, I broke it down by valuing every single target based on the starting yard line of the play. So, for example, a target to a tight end from uh, the 15 to the 20 yard line has about a 16% chance of scoring a touchdown uh, historically over the past three or five years, uh, which means that that target has an expected value of 0.95. You just take a a touchdown is worth six points. Multiply that by a 16% chance of scoring, and that's how we get our expected value. And then compare that to a target from inside the five-yard line to a tight end. That has a 52% chance of scoring a touchdown, so an expected value of a little over three points. And then we can just look at our our league-wide scoring rates. Um, on average, tight ends score uh, on about 5.5% of their targets. And then inside the red zone, you already mentioned somewhere around 31, 32% um, on their red zone targets. So obviously higher than, than wide receivers, higher than running backs. But the, the thing that really causes us to, um, to really have a hard time figuring out these regression candidates for tight ends is that tight ends just don't see the volume that wide receivers do. So uh, a couple tight ends here, a couple touchdowns for a tight end here or there can can really uh, sway those touchdown rates. And we're not often going to see really big outliers just because I mentioned those uh, that those volume numbers aren't there. But we did see a couple last year, especially players that overperformed. And I think the one the one that stands out the most and this might not come into play in week one because he might not be healthy uh, is Tyler Eifert. He scored 11 red zone touchdowns last year 
uh, based on his targets and where he was seeing the targets from, we would expect the average tight end to only score about 30 points or five touchdowns from those targets. But Eifert scored uh, 66 points off red zone touchdowns, so six point six touchdowns over expectation. That that's a really huge amount. Uh, he had an 18% touchdown rate overall. Converted 69% of his red zone looks, which is a ridiculous amount. And it really showed up if we looked at his season-long numbers. Uh, Over the last five years, we've seen over 400 players score 150-plus PPR points. Uh, Eifert was the fourth most touchdown dependent of any of those 400 players. So just goes to show how much he really relied on touchdowns last year. And then if we just look at his expected regression for him to even come close to those touchdown numbers this year, he would need to see over 30% of the red zone target share. And that's just assuming that the Bengals matched their passing volume inside the red zone last year. So if we just go through his numbers, we can really see how it's going to be hard to expect Tyler Eifert to match those touchdown numbers. Not to say that he can't have a, some really nice games because he does seem like he fits the profile of a tight end that could dominate in the red zone. But if you're going in early in the season, whenever he is active and expecting him to match those, that touchdown pace that he had last year i think you're probably gonna end up overpaying early in the season probably be a little bit disappointed uh on kind of a similar note not as extreme but jordan reed really performed way over what we would expect last year he converted uh 44 of his red zone touchdowns which is again way higher than the league average of right around 30 percent uh he saw over 20 red zone targets so we can look at a sample and see that uh it's going to be really hard to perform that well over with that much volume um over the last 15 years 31 tight ends have seen 20 plus red zone targets in the season only three converted touchdowns at a higher rate jordan reed that jordan reed did last year so uh, just historically, we could expect that number to come down. If we look at all of his targets and where those targets came from, Jordan Reed had the same red zone expected value as Rob Gronkowski, but he scored three more touchdowns. So if we just look at the most dominant red zone target we've probably ever seen, uh, Jordan Reed outscored that guy by three touchdowns. So uh, that that alone shows us how much over expectation Jordan Reed performed. And then uh, he's going to be competing with more guys this year. Uh, Josh Doxson's a rookie, but he seems like a guy that they could use a lot in the red zone. And uh, I Niles Paul is a guy that's going to be healthy, and he's not going to take away Jordan Reed's job. But we have to remember that going into the last year, Niles Paul was named the starting tight end. So he might, even if he siphons off one or two touchdowns, that could put a dent in Jordan Reed's production. So he's a guy that may that we might want to be a little weary of going into the season. Uh, we didn't have a ton of positive regression candidates last year, but one guy that that did stand out and probably has stood out over the course of his career because of his situation is Jared Cook. Uh, He saw double-digit red zone targets, but he didn't score a touchdown on any of them. Now he's going to have Aaron Rodgers throwing in the ball, so he's a guy that is very athletic. And Chris, you made a really good uh, observation about Jared Cook in this new Packers offense. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Sure. So when I was doing the research for my three key fantasy relevant tendencies of each offensive coordinator article which came out earlier this summer I came across Mike McCarthy saying that essentially they picked up Jared Cook because they were really concerned 
about the verticality of the offense last season with Jordy Nelson on the shelf. They felt like they really didn't have a vertical threat on the field, and that allowed teams to really play up on Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, and the rest of the wide receivers, which explained why they all had really down season and they couldn't, they found it difficult to separate from coverage at times. And that's why you saw some really explosive Green Bay games when Jeff Janis was in the lineup for, you know, the short time that he was because he's kind of a vertical, vertical threat, even though he struggles with some of the other nuances of the, of the game. And Jared Cook is a seam stretcher. They really want that in the offense. They want Jared Cook to be able to stretch vertically down the middle of the field, um, open things up for Randall Cobb underneath in the middle of the field. So Jared Cook is a guy where even though we're looking for these red zone targets, and that's a lot what we think of when we think of regression, um, Jared Cook is one of the few tight ends who I think can actually – score outside the red zone especially because he has a guy like Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball and Jared Cook is one of those tight ends where even if he catches only two three balls a game he really has a a good likelihood of one of those catches being a big play a splash play because I think that's how they're they see him in that offense so Jared Cook is a guy to look out for even though admittedly I will say that observing Jared Cook over the course of his career although he's had poor quarterback play he's also a guy that I think does have a tendency to disappoint or choke or whatever you want to call it when the, when the lights go on so that's also something I'll be wary of but I think he's the perfect tournament play especially early in the season when he's going to be priced pretty much near the minimum so Jared Cook a guy you can take some shots on especially early in the season try to get those big plays in GPPs. Yeah, do you have any thoughts on? Cause uh, I mentioned Niles Paul, and I've I've mentioned this more than once on Twitter, and I can almost like hear the snickers over the internet. But uh, I mean, don't we have to at least kind of consider that he can eat into Jordan Reed's production a little bit, given his history with this team? Yeah, I think I think it really comes down to, and this is something that I've been paying so much attention to now, as you know, is injuries. Mm-hmm. And I actually released an article. We'll, we'll get into injuries in just a second. But I released an article called The Effects of Injuries on a Fantasy Football Player Production. And it's on 4 for 4 right now. It's one of the favorite articles I've ever done. I know it's probably not going to be one of the most popular ones because injuries aren't really exciting. But it quantifies the res- you know the dip in production due to injuries. And I think Niles Paul... You mentioned he was a starter, and you know he really he was a, a vertical threat in the Redskins offense. And I think it really depends now on how he comes back from injury. You know he's been out for a while, and you know if he's at peak health again, then I think he he'll get on the field. As of right now, I'm not sure exactly where they are with him. I I did see Vernon Davis in the preseason, I think playing ahead of him at times. Mm-hmm. So I think it really, but I, I could also see Vernon Davis getting cut and, and, and not even making the roster. So mm-hmm. um, I think, I think it's definitely a possibility. I think even with, I think Reed regressing is a possibility either way, just like you mentioned Dotson there too, you know, even if, if, if Vernon Davis is also on the team, that's just one more player. Um, but at the end of the day, Vern- Jordan Reed is also a really good tight end. He can mm-hmm. line up out wide, so that that mitigates some of the concerns at least. I think Jordan Reed, I always love him as a DraftKings play because I think he's one of those tight ends that can reach 100 yards in a game and, and 
catch eight, nine balls because Kirk Cousins really comfortable throwing to him. Deshaun Jackson, not really a volume wide receiver as a number one at this point in his career. So Jordan Reed still, still a good play, but I do agree with you, TJ, that, uh, there could be some, some regression there. Cool. Uh, let's, yeah, let's go talk about injuries a little more. So what I did for my injury study was I looked at how players perform when they are not on the injury report compared to when they are on the injury report. And of course this takes on even more importance now that they have eliminated the probable tag because there's a lot of different scenarios that could happen. Really two main scenarios. One is that players formerly listed as probable will disappear from the injury report. Other scenario being that players formerly listed as probable will now be listed as questionable. The latter scenario actually more advantageous from a fantasy perspective because at least we if if we have players that were formerly probable listed as questionable, at least we know there's some kind of injury and we can expect some kind of dip where I found that even when a, a tight end or any position except quarterback really, when they are probable, they still do suffer a dip in production. So we rather know about those guys and have those guys just floating around, not even on the injury report. So that's one thing to keep in mind. But I found tight ends on average suffer an 8.5% dip in production when they are on the injury report and play in a game. So that's also in line with wide receivers and running backs. Overall, there were some, of course, some differences depending on injuries. Lower body injuries really caused double-digit dips in production. Ankle injuries really hindrances, knee injuries as well. And I think that's because... Save for Rob Gronkowski, Jordan Reed, maybe Travis Kelsey, and a few others, there aren't many tight ends that are the number one guys or the or really focal points of their offense. So if a tight end is playing hurt, more than likely the coach is just going to adjust the game plan and not even try to put too much on the tight end's plate as far as receiving goes if they are playing through an injury. So I think that's really something to keep in mind. I would really try to avoid tight ends on the injury report in cash games unless they were just incredible values anyway but all these injury numbers is something we will be taking into account this year on four for four with our projections and in our weekly injury article and whatnot so that's something to look out for there let's uh let's switch gears a little bit tj and end things as far as tight ends by looking just i'll just get your thoughts on some week one plays um, how do you feel about Kobe Fleener? Well, first of all, I just guess just give me your thoughts on Kobe Fleener overall. There's been some talk about maybe he's not on the same page with Drew Brees and Michael Thomas is playing in two wide receiver sets and uh, just a lot of different negative things going on with Fleener. He did catch a, a pretty long pass from Brees in the last preseason game that got negated by a penalty. How are you feeling about Fleener and do you like him on one site more than the other? Yeah, I I made a, a Twitter joke, but it was it was in jest, but it was somewhat serious too. I, I said something to the effect of, uh, with with all this news with Fleener, see what happens when you go from a quarterback that has no idea what he's doing to Hall of Fame quarterback. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, it, it's a joke, but at the same time, when we these uh, these like really top tier quarterbacks, the Aaron Rodgers, the the Drew Breeses, uh, they they really have 
uh, a rapport with certain wide receivers, and and we've seen it with uh, with Jeff Janis on the Packers. If if that elite quarterback that kind of runs the team has any problem at all with what a receiver is doing, they they rely so much on precision and knowing exactly where that wide receiver tight end is going to be. Uh, it, it can really be a problem, and we we always talk about not like it, it's really hard to decipher coach speak sometimes, but. Um, I think a lot of times when a coach is saying something really positive about a player, you really have to take it with a grain of salt because they always want to build up their own team. But uh, when a coach is willing to come out and say something negative, uh, that makes me a little bit nervous because uh, they, they don't really have an incentive to say something bad about a player. So I, I think there is some concern there. Uh, if we're talking about Colby Fleener in week one, uh, I still think that We've seen him be a guy that, that can score touchdowns, albeit not at a very efficient rate, but maybe with Drew Brees that changes. Uh, this is going to be a game that's really high scoring. I think just looking, uh, you asked if I like him on one site more than the other. I'll get into a couple other players, but uh, one thing we've talked about in the past on this podcast is price discrepancy, and he has one of the biggest discrepancies between the two sites if we look at uh, where he's priced. He's priced as the fifth tight end on DraftKings, but he's priced 13th on FanDuel. So if we're looking for a little bit of a value, uh, he looks like he he could present some really good value on FanDuel, um, both on, in cash games and GPPs because he's only priced it at 5400 which is a pretty fair price on FanDuel. Definitely. I know a lot of our listeners probably also play in some season-long leagues. So as a bonus... Your top five tight ends, Gronk, Reed, Olsen, Kelsey. Who you got at number five, Fleener or Walker or somebody else? Oh, man, that's such a hard question. Um, I hate that range so much. <laughs> I, I, I think just because of the offense that he's in, and I think he'll retain his target share, I probably Delaney. Um, cause his overall targets will probably come down a little bit, but I still think he's one of the few tight ends that will flirt with a 25% market share. But I, I don't think I'm drafting a tight end in that range anyway. Agreed. I usually don't either unless some one of them falls at least a round or more to me and then just becomes a good value and then I'll take them. But I'm not really drafting any of them at cost, not drafting Tyra for at cost either. So just giving you... Guys, a little bonus. I know you, a lot of you were drafting this week. Uh, let's get into some other tight ends. Let's see. Who do we got here? Uh, let's, oh, let's hear your thoughts, thoughts on Zach Ertz, TJ. Um, interesting situation there because we know the Eagles wide receivers are struggling. We know they're lacking some talent at wide receiver. We, we know that... Brent Selleck is there and that they like him more as a blocker, but that he played Selleck that is played more of the snaps with the ones than Ertz. And now we have Burton who's also looks like he's getting some first team snaps. Are you concerned at all about Zach Ertz who is coming up as one of the top week one dollar for dollar values at his current projection? Yeah. I mean the, like you kind of mentioned, the problem with this offense is that like we we don't really know where the passing targets are going to go. And I guess in a in a GPP that you can use that to your advantage, where a lot of people are going to be fading the passing game just because we're not sure about it. But uh, Zach Ertz is a guy that has been historically 
bad in the red zone over his career, but it's been a really small sample size. So you could make the argument that he's actually a positive touchdown regression candidate. Um, I, in, in DFS terms, I mean, he's priced... He's he's more he's priced as the as a top ten tight end on both sites. Uh, I mean, we just mentioned Colby Fleener, who you can get for three hundred dollars cheaper on Fanduel. Uh, we're going to talk about a guy that's really cheap on DraftKings in a moment. So I I just don't see myself having a ton of him, if any at all, in, in DFS in Week One. Cool. So you can get right into the the next guy you wanted to talk about. Yeah, this guy is he's thirty two hundred dollars on DraftKings and uh I mean I think he might present one of the best values. He he might end up being my most high on guy in week one. I'm not sure yet. We still have a little bit of time to go, but uh Dwayne Allen on the Colts. The the Colts have targeted the tight end uh, as much, if not more, than any team when Andrew Luck's been healthy. Uh I think they've targeted tight tight end on, on thirty percent of all of Andrew Luck's targets over the past two years and 35% in the red zone. Now, Kobe Fleener, who we just mentioned, is in New Orleans. Uh, Indy's projected to score 27 points. Uh, I, I mean, at that price on DraftKings, again, looking at the separation between the sites, he's priced 11th on FanDuel and 20th on DraftKings. That value is going to be really hard for me to pass up. Definitely love Allen on DraftKings in week one. What are your thoughts on Jason Witten, we know that the Giants historically struggle against the tight end because they tend to, GM Jerry Reese tends to ignore the linebacker position and the safety position when mm-hmm. constructing his roster. And those are the two positions that primarily cover the tight end. And I know you are a real big fan of Tony Romo's and his his red zone touchdown rate. And it's just his career touchdown rate. But now we have Dak Prescott starting most likely starting and we also know that with young quarterbacks they tend to rely on their safety blanket so I feel like there's a lot of like positives and negatives for Witten I just wanted to hear your thoughts on like where you stand with him in week one against the Giants yeah the the Romo thing uh really ruined a lot of my plans for week one because that's the passing offense in that game uh, expected to be quite a shootout that I was probably going to have a lot of shares of um, I think the the Dak Prescott love is probably going to get a little bit out of hand. Uh, even though he has looked good, I think a lot of defenses, we kind of saw this yesterday with the Titans and the Raiders, um, you're seeing a lot of vanilla defenses right now. Uh, so I think a lot of offenses are probably going to look a little bit better than we might expect, which in turn is going to make uh, a lot of individual players, especially quarterback, look better than we expect. Uh, rookie quarterbacks, I mean, it's it's... It's, they tend to struggle. They tend to be very inefficient. Even the best one, if their volume numbers are good, um, they're they're gonna have a tough time adjusting to the speed of the game, especially early in the season. So I talked about this a little bit with quarterbacks, um, especially in GPPs. We really want to be wary of quarterbacks that are liable to have one or two turnovers. And I think a rookie uh, playing his first, starting his first game, is going to be very liable to turn the ball ball over. You mentioned the Giants being bad against the against tight ends. Uh, this kind of randomly came across my timeline the other day, and the the Giants, I. I his name's slipping my mind right now, but they picked a safety in the second or third round, and Darian looks like Thompson. he's going to. Yes, and so I did a little bit of research on him, and he's apparently one of the best cover safeties uh, coming out this year. So I, I just put out a quick tweet like, "Be wary of targeting the Giants." Like we have to see how this plays out, but 
early season, they're still going to be ranked bad against tight ends because they have been historically. Uh, one single safety, if he's as good as uh, we might expect, he can really change that around. The the classic example is Eric Berry. He just shuts down tight ends on his own. Uh, so that could come into play this year. Uh, we're going to have to pay attention to that early in the year. Definitely. I'm glad you mentioned Eric Berry. Uh, you actually read my mind. Um, Berry is a guy that I, the only guy I really talked about in my DFS playbook article. He just he contributes to the Chiefs just shutting down tight ends. I think they're in the top five fewest uh, tight end points allowed in Berry's last three fully healthy seasons. I, one of the seasons he missed a bunch of games. I think it was 2014. Uh, but Berry, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs are really good against the tight ends. I think that's a ranking that you can really trust. So Antonio Gates at KC week one might be someone you want to fade. But I think that is a really interesting point on Thompson. I know he's a little banged up right now. Um, he is a really good coverage safety. It also depends how Spags use him, uses him. And I know the Giants are also experimenting with uh, slot corner Leon Hall at safety. Mm-hmm. So that's another guy that they might be trying to cover the tight end with. I think, I mean, after all these years, you'd think they'd figure it out at some point uh, to just not let tight ends run all over them or catch all over them, I should say. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think Jason Witten's stock really fell, as did most of the Cowboys, with the Dak Prescott uh, starting instead of Tony Romo. News... Um, any other player? Oh, how do we feel about? Because I know, I know a lot of people are going to be on Julio and Mike Evans as passing game options. How do you? How do we feel about the Austin Safarian Jenkins versus Cameron Brait situation? Is that going to? Are they going to cancel each other out? Is ASJ going to win that job? What's going on there? I don't know. I mean, now that they're saying, oh, now ASJ is getting these starter snaps. I it really to me felt like one of those we're, we're trying to motivate this guy that we just spent a ton of draft capital on so we're gonna make him run with the threes and say that this guy's the starter uh to me it just really seems like one of those situations where they're not just gonna throw asj uh like into this backup role i mean he's a guy that's super athletic they drafted him to be one of the they were supposed to have these these triple towers with asj mike evans and, and vincent jackson if we look at when he was on the field last year he was targeted on uh more the highest percentage of snaps of any player his snaps were down a little bit but over the last six weeks if you look at four for fours uh player snap app and target app you can see how often he was targeted when he was on the field and then he's a guy that's going to be a touchdown upside guy especially in that offense especially in that game uh with um with a very high high expected high scoring game in atlanta in the dome and we just talked about how uh, important that um that touchdowns are in fandle and he's priced outside the top 12 is the 13th tight end uh so you can get him at a little bit of a value if he is the starter so i i mean he's He's probably not a guy I'm really just going to heavily target, but I don't think I, I should ignore him. Um, I'm not buying the Cameron Braid thing. Gotcha. Some other notes. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting, it's kind of a little off topic, but when I was doing my research for the coaching offensive tendencies article, I came across something that said essentially that Charles Clay was running open down the middle of the field <laughs> often last season, but that... And then I read another separate piece that essentially said that Tyrod Taylor's weakness is targeting the middle of the field. 
So in case anyone, you know, was just wondering about Charles Clay or something, which probably no one is except me, <laughs> <laughs> but um, that, that, that's going to be something interesting to watch because I think Clay does have some talent, and he's another one of those tight ends that can actually run some of the deeper downfield routes. So it'll be interesting to see if Tyrod Taylor has, can make strides in terms of reading the middle of the field and getting the ball to his big tight end. But uh, any other tight ends you want to talk about or do we go? Uh, just a couple quick notes on some price differences. We already mentioned Jared Cook in the podcast. Uh, he's priced as a 15th FanDuel, a uh, 15th price tight end on FanDuel, but he's only priced as the 25th tight end on DraftKings. So quite a bit of a value on DraftKings there. And then flipping it on uh, the FanDuel value, Eric Ebron is priced as the 12th tight end on DraftKings, but he's only priced as the 20th tight end on FanDuel. So just a couple guys to keep in mind when you're building your lineups. Yeah, and with Ebron, I think it's going to come down to, will he be on the injury report come week one with that ankle? Mm -hmm. If he's on the injury report, um, I found that you know ankle injuries are causing, a, on average, an 11.4% drop-off in production from when they're healthy. So if Ebron is on the injury report, he'll probably be somebody I'm ignoring a little more. If he's clear to go and he's practicing in full and everything like that, I think he'll be a really interesting play with, I think, a lot of people just focusing on a bunch of other plays in that game because there's so many in, in, in a game that's going to have a pretty high total and two defenses that look like they will struggle. But that about wraps it up for our DFS MVP tight end strategy discussion. Just want to quickly remind and encourage you guys to check out 444.com's DFS subscription. The week one value reports and lineup generator is up. Um, this year, we have added the floor and ceiling projections to the lineup generator. So that is something we're really excited about those are of course derived from an algorithm i created um and they they are they go hand in hand with our with john paulson's projections so it, really good combination there um i've had a really great success using the floor projections to make cash game lineups it's really improved um, my cash game win rate we've added a bunch of other filters to the lineup generator so now you can filter by vegas spread vegas implied team total vegas over under you can filter by home away you can filter by any particular game you can filter by um of course ceiling and floor point per dollar value salary bunch of cool things there a lot of you guys have been uh, really digging the stacking articles the correlation articles i really appreciate the love on those and just wanted to let you guys know that uh, we will be updating our stack value reports to reflect all the information from those articles essentially about what stacks aside from just quarterback receivers are viable so the quarterback running back and running back wide receiver and some of the other stacks you guys can check out the articles uh for the full breakdown and you know, we have a updated pricing page where we keep uh we're gonna keep t 
track of all the pricing changes week to week and from the beginning of the season and uh, let you guys know how what percentage of the cap uh, each player is. We, have, of course, have a downloadable CSV with pricing details for each site and our projections. So that's a very useful CSV uh, that you can just click and download and you'll have a spreadsheet of all the information you need right in front of you. And just a lot of other really, really... Uh, cool things on the 444 DFS sub. You can go to 444.com to check check it out. And uh, we really encourage you to subscribe. But that about does it for us. TJ is on Twitter, at TJ Hernandez. So follow him. Check out all his articles. He's been putting out some really, really great content all off-season long and will continue to do so all season. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. And this is DFS MVP. TJ, any last words? Hashtag shmoney. Let's get this shmoney. See, lyrically, I'm Mario Andretti on the Momo. Ludicrously speedy or infectious with the slow-mo. Heard me in the 80s, JV's on the promo. And I never end the quest to get the paper on the caper. But now, let me take it to the queen side. I'm taking it to Brooklyn side. All the residential questions who invade the air. Hold up a second, son, cause we almost there. You could be a black man and lose all your soul. You could be white and blue, but don't prep the road. See, my shit is universal if you got knowledge of all or doubt myself. See, there's no one else who could drop it on the angle. They're cute at that. So, do that, do that, do that, that, that. Come on. Do that, do that, do that, that, that. Yeah. Do that, do that.